So thankful for those heroes in my life, a mom and dad who love Jesus and through thick and thin stayed true to him and taught me to love him too. And a youth pastor who moved 400 miles away from my hometown and came to teach us how to love Jesus and how to go out and be a witness for him and see many of my friends come to know Christ. Those heroes I am eager to see someday. And what a great day that will be. And all of Luke actually is, is pointing us to how to gather God's people for that great day. We've been looking at the book of Luke. You can turn there We're in chapter 10 this morning. This very careful account of Jesus' life that Luke spills out. And he's proclaimed in chapters 1 and 2 as the Son of God, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then he lives a life to demonstrate this claim on his life through healing and raising the dead through forgiving sins and doing miracles. And then he gathers a group of disciples. We've been watching this now the last few chapters. He gathers a group of disciples and he teaches them who he is and what he has come to do. And then this great confession of Peter last week as Pastor Jared spoke that Peter said, you are the Christ, the Christ of God, the long-awaited Messiah. That's who he is. This is what Luke is, is teaching us. And this week now we're going to See, this text will sharpen our focus now on who Jesus is and his purposes, and we'll see it with greater, greater clarity, I think, this morning. And we want to do it in three parts. First of all, Jesus' mission, we will see here now in chapter 9, 51. Actually, we'll start back a little bit at verse of chapter 9, and then our mission, and then finally that it's a, a mission of, of mercy. So you can turn with me in Luke chapter 9, and we'll look at verse 51 here. And this is a critical verse. We actually broke this up, Jared and I did, in the middle of the chapter because this is a critical statement that occurs here. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is a turning point. Uh, he's been teaching his disciples who he is, and now we begin to hear specifically what he came to do. He set in his sight, he set his, set his face to go to Jerusalem where he will be mocked and scorned and crucified and buried and rise again and be taken up into heaven. This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4 says, Paul says, this is the gospel that I preached to you for I delivered to you as first importance what I received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures. But I want you to notice in this verse that while Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to die for our sins, it says that he drew near to be taken up. He had his eye way past Jerusalem. He had his eye way past his crucifixion. His eyes were toward another kingdom, the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is not of this world, it says in John chapter 18, 36. And Jesus had his eye to gather a people for all eternity in a place called heaven, where a new heaven and a new earth will be our place for all eternity. And it says in Luke 2, as he met with his disciples before his death, that he eagerly longed to eat this last supper with them, and that he would not eat it again until the kingdom of God, when he was with them in eternity. He always has in his heart and mind for us as his people today, that we will be a people gathered for all eternity to enjoy him forever. But his mission now, in Luke, is to seek and save those who were lost. 
all of us who had gone astray from all the nations. And in this first little section, verses 51 to 56, he comes into Samaria, a a group of multi-ethnic people who were despised by the Jews, and the Samaritans rejected him, it says. And so the disciples were like, well, like, should we rain down fire from heaven on these people and just kind of blow the whole thing up? They're rejecting you, Jesus. And Jesus rebuked them because now was a time of mercy, right? We're in a time of mercy. Right? There's a day of judgment coming. When Jesus returns, it will be a time of judgment. But right now, we live in a day of mercy. And we want to be people of mercy as we love and serve and tell people about Jesus. So that was Jesus' mission, to gather his people for all eternity, but now he has passed the torch to us. We talked about him being the fish, we're to be fishers of men, we're to follow him on his mission to proclaim the kingdom of God, and he's going to give us more definition of what that looks like uh, this morning as we look at chapter uh, 9, 57, and through chapter 10. So, so how do we now uh, follow Jesus, being fishers of men, how do we be on mission for him. And there's three ways I want us to see in this text this morning. And the first one is this, is to make the kingdom of God our first priority. To make the kingdom of God our first priority. Look at verse 57 through 62. These are powerful words. He said, and then they were going along the road, and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In in pretty strong words, Jesus tells us that his kingdom is our first priority. This is to be more important than all things. It's our primary calling before God. We are to be followers of Jesus, and to follow him means to put him first. It's to die to ourselves. It's to be crucified with him, to take up our cross daily, to follow him. And Pastor Jared told us last week that when we lay down our life for him, we find life. This is the path of life. But we're to put the kingdom over at least a couple things we see in this text. We're to put the kingdom over our families. See this? Let the dead bury their dead. Right? I want to go home and say goodbye to my parents. No, just keep focused on me. You're called here right now. Put the kingdom first, even ahead of your family. And Jesus made that pretty clear because his biological Brothers and sisters were saying, they want to talk to you. His disciples were saying, your, your brothers and sisters want to talk to you. And he said, those aren't really my brothers and sisters. Let, like they, let them just be. My real brothers and sisters are those who hear the word of God and do it. They're more important than family. See, family always has this potential. It's really a good thing. It's a blessing. Families are blessed. But it has the potential to distract and our busy schedules and school and extracurriculars, it can take us away from the more important things of doing God's kingdom work. Or because of our busyness and our family schedules, we have little time for the Bible, little time for church, little time for kingdom purposes. 
But the Bible makes it really clear that family really is our first disciples. Those kids that are under our roof in that little precious window of 20, 25 years, this is our chance to disciple them, to teach them to know Jesus, to walk with him, and then to send them out like arrows in the, in the hands of a warrior, it says in the Psalms. That's what our purpose is with our family. Jesus says kingdom is more important than family. But he also says kingdom is more important than our comfort. Our aim is not to build a comfortable life here in a fancy retirement. Our aim is to serve Jesus. When Jesus said, I don't even have a place to lay down my head. Like if you're following me, right, that's the guy we're following. It might be a little bit uncomfortable. We're to live a life of sacrifice for eternal things. Build up treasure in heaven, Jesus said, by investing in people. Make a sacrifice here so your reward will be great in heaven. Our last visit to our kids in Oregon, we were talking about some new friends that they had met at church, and, and one of them was a, a leading official in the state of Oregon. They live in Oregon, and a, a man that had a very prominent and no doubt high-paying job, and, and they were noting, like, this guy drives this really old car, and he lives in this really small house, and they were going, it's really interesting. I know what he does, and kind of a little bit what he makes, but they said this, very evidently, he is living for the next life, <laughs> and not for this one. That's what Jesus is calling us to, that we're all to be missionaries, we're all to be people who are on mission for him, laying down our lives and sacrificing to serve him Today, we're missionaries dressed up as bankers, dressed up as homemakers, dressed up as electricians, but we're missionaries, of course. So I, I want to do this with the kids here this morning. Kiddos, let's see if we can figure this out. So I want to put up people of various occupations. We want to guess what their job is. What's this guy's job? All right, he's a football player. You know what? He's a missionary. He's a missionary dressed up as a football player. That's what he is. Next one. Oh, what's this guy doing? Plumber. He's a plumber. That's right. He's a plumber. He's a missionary dressed up as a plumber. Sneaky guy. Next one. Ooh. That's a missionary dressed up as a pilot. We have a lot of pilots that have landed here, you know, and in this congregation here this morning, so... Oh, that's a missionary dressed up as a doctor. That's right. That's who that is. Ooh, missionaries dressed up as police officers. Yeah, we have one of those here too. Yeah. Ooh, that's a student. Are you guys students? <laughs> that's a missionary like you guys dressed up as a student right oh <laughs> Josh <laughs> I didn't tell Josh I was doing this to him <laughs> that's a missionary dressed up as a crazy German guy Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. In my corporate days, I uh, supervised a lab as an engineer. 
and one of the guys came up to me about six months in. He goes, you know what? I thought you came here as an engineer. This was not a Christian. He goes, but you came, as, you came here to save us. I was honored by that. Yeah, I did. Now, it doesn't mean we don't do our jobs really well and with excellence, with integrity, right? But we are missionaries first and foremost. And so let's, let's be about it, people, right? Let's be about it. <coughs> well, um, we're to make the kingdom of God our first priority. But second of all, we're to <coughs> minister in partnership. Now, we see this in chapter 10, verse 1. <coughs> That after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He sends them out two by two in partnership. And this is God's gracious plan, his wise plan. We read about it in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, how two are better than one. That when there are two, there's protection, there's accountability, there's encouragement. In the old days, back in my corporate days, we call it synergy. One plus one equals three. When you put two people together, they, they build each other up and you're better. And so whatever God is calling you to do, whatever God is laying on your heart to be about, find a partner to do it with them. I remember when Josh Jost came to me many years ago now, three or four or five years ago. He goes, you know, I'd really like to have a partner ministry. You think we could hire Max Dietz? You know, like so, and we, we hired Max, like he had his partner, and, and Max has been awesome, right? And Sean Patrick said, maybe we can hire Sandy as an intern. It'd be good to have a partner in, in ministry. And many of you partner, Joel and Julie and Tony and Roberta, partner together in this class, all of you guys, and we team together. And, and I just love teaching with this guy right here. He's a joy to teach with, and he makes me a lot better. So there's, there's something about two by two in partnership together. But he says also in verse 2, he said, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. But this is a, a challenging place to minister in Salt Lake City. In fact, um, when I came here and interviewed for this job 15 years ago, I said, I'm looking for like the most challenging place in America to be. And I wasn't wrong. <laughs> and so we pray, like pray for people to join us. And, and many of you are new to Salt Lake City and new to this area. And you are an answer to our prayers. We are thrilled to have you here. You are joining us in the ministry in this great city of reaching people where people from all over the world come to us. We have a religious people that don't understand Jesus is and who he truly is and a lost people of atheists and people that don't care about religion that are doing their own fun thing and, and we get to be in the middle of this and last week we had our discovering risen life here at our church and we had over 50 new people in our church that came to that joining us to do this mission and this ministry and our job is to come alongside all of you and all of you who are new and help you get on mission here we have a new christmas class that's starting up on february 19th in two weeks to teach you how to walk with jesus and know him and how to be on mission with him and those of you who are come who are seasoned in your faith and many of you are like we're trying to find your place in the battleship and help you get going and we're going to be uh, reaching out to you and helping you find your place here in the days ahead but the bible also tells us that this place is a hostile environment it says in verse three of our text this morning 
It says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus said, the world hates me. It's going to hate you. And we are going to bring the aroma of Christ, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2.16. It says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Like, this is a hard assignment. We smell like death to those who are lost and like life to those who are alive. This is a tough day. This is a tough gig that we've been given as Christians. But it says in, in Colossians 4, 6 that we are to be people who above things, all things are to be gracious and seasoned with salt and know how to answer the questions that people ask. And so even in a hostile environment, we are to be gracious. And he says that some people will receive the message and some won't in verses 4 through 16. Some received them and received the message. Others didn't. And Jesus said, then just move on, right? Shake off the dust off your sandals and move on to the next place. But he reminds them that those who reject Jesus, it was not going to go well for them. Like we need to remember this. This needs to be a motivation for us believers. That those who reject Christ, the Bible teaches, will live separate from him for all eternity. And to not miss that. So this is a tough assignment to speak the grace and the love of God, but also know that many will reject him. And, and I was thinking actually, you know, Super Bowl's next week. Many of you, probably all of you, know this. Like this is American holiday and it's coming at us. And I was thinking about these. NFL players, right? And these days, the training of these players is crazy, right? I mean, they put them on the right diets. They train them strength training. They all, many of them have their own, like, personal psychologists and psychiatrists to help them think right in the game. They're taught techniques by amazing coaches. And, and, and if, you, if you talk to any of these players, I used to have a friend that played professional football, and he said, if you don't, if you're not ready, you get out there, you're just going to really get hurt. It's really a rough, violent place out there. You either lose or you get benched or you get hurt. And, and all this is is just football. Like we are talking eternity of people. We ought to get ourselves ready and be prepared. Right? The study of the Bible and through prayer and time and community and worshiping God. Let's be people who are ready for this fight of serving Jesus. Well, finally, he says to us in our text, that we're to leave the results to God in verses 17 to 24. I'll read verses 17 to 20. It says, And the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I read these verses regularly to our staff because we have our Sundays and we all do our best and we come back and we kind of go, home. Oh, boy, I don't know if we were very good that day. I go, don't rejoice in whether you had a good or bad day in ministry. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what matters. Leave the ministry results to God. 
And Jesus makes it really clear that he has authority of all things. In fact, I love this, verse 18. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That means Jesus was there when Satan rebelled and fell out of heaven. He is before all things. He is the eternal Son of God, and he has authority that he has given to us. And so God has placed a call on each of our lives, but the fruit and the results of what we do are his. We're to be faithful to the calling that he's given us to do, but trust God for the fruit. And in fact, he says pretty clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that he doesn't call really fancy people and really eloquent people and rich people to do his work, but really the humble people. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1.26. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, and not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. I want you to know, I am really encouraged by that. Maybe you are too, because I feel pretty average much of the time. And I had a preaching professor. I've, I've shared this before, but I had a preaching professor when I was just feeling called to ministry, I took his course, and he came up to me after class, after I had done a little sermon in the class, he goes, I think maybe you should find something else to do with your life. <laughs> Some of you are probably thinking this morning, you know, that guy might have been right, right? <laughs> it was kind of hurtful. But I take glory in that, because God says here, he doesn't use the mighty or the wise or the highly talented, he uses the average person. And so really, brothers and sisters, the pressure is off, right? Just go and enjoy him. Do your thing because God is the one that brings the increase. You don't have to be spectacular. Just walk in obedience to him and to his mission. And God is the one who changes the heart and brings people to himself. Well, finally, I want us to see this morning that this is a mission of mercy. It's a mission of of mercy. And we come to this very, very famous story in chapter 10 of the Good Samaritan. It's often called the story of the Good Samaritan. But it starts out um, with this Jewish person asking a question. Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is the question. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the Jewish person answered, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. <clears throat> so how, how do we inherit eternal life? Right? It's through devotion to God, right? Trust in Him and faith in Him and devotion then to His ways, to love God and to love people. This is what we're called to do. Submit ourselves to Christ. We're saved by faith, through grace, right? And then give ourselves to what He has called us to do, to demonstrate mercy and compassion to those who are in need. And we're familiar with the story where uh, one person, the Samaritan, showed compassion where the Levite and the priest walked 
by. And so the teaching is to be people of mercy, right? This is a mission of mercy. It's a mission of caring for people and showing compassion to those who are in hard places and in broken places, to serve people at their point of need, whatever that is, who bring, we bring across our path. I love Dennis Crenshaw. I don't know if he's in here this morning, but he has this ministry to uh, the homeless people, and, and we've given him socks and underwear and all kinds of things uh, over the, the months and the past months, and, and he does this. But all of us have a unique opportunity and a calling, depending on how we're resourced and who we come across, to show mercy and grace and compassion to people, to be a friend to someone who needs a friend, or to fix a sink or a toilet, if you can do that sort of thing, don't call me for that, or to give counsel or encouragement to somebody in a hard place. That's what we're to be, a mission of mercy. So I, I pray almost every morning, join me in this. Family, church family, join me in this. God, make me a blessing today to somebody. Show me who that is. As I walk through the path of life, make me a blessing. Let's be on missions of mercy and compassion for people and look for the opportunities that God might give to us. But I want us to notice something about this. <clears throat> this is important. Where does Jesus place this Jewish man that asks the question in the story? Where does he place him? And if you look at it and read it, he places him as the one who is clubbed and beaten and lays by the side of the road. That's where this guy gets placed in the story. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And that Jewish man heard this as the story was being told. I mean, there's more than one lesson here. But one was to this Jewish man who was pretty proud and trying to justify himself and prove himself acceptable to God. You're the broken man on the side of the road. <laughs> that would have been shocking to him. He was self-righteous, he was proud, and he was definitely a racist against Samaritans. That's what Jesus was pointing out. And this is the message of the gospel. That God has created a perfect world in the beginning. and We had perfect fellowship with God and knew him, perfect communion with him, and we went our own way. We rebelled against him, and we experienced the consequences and pain and suffering and brokenness of people who walked away from God. And we've tried to fix it in all our own strength. We've tried all kinds of things to medicate the pain and the suffering, to cover our wounds and our emptiness, to fill those empty places with all kinds of activities. But everything we try, when we wake up the next morning, we're as empty as we were the night before. It doesn't work. All those other ways don't work. Only Jesus can heal us. Only Jesus can fill our hungering souls. Band, you can come on up. Only Jesus can restore us to a walk with God that is blessed. And so the Bible says to repent and to turn and to come back to Him, to turn from our waywardness and to turn from our own work at trying to make our world right, but to turn and trust Jesus, to believe in Him and to be restored to a right path with God and to walk in obedience to Him. And so the question comes to us, what are you going to do with Jesus? 
Are you going to give your life to him? Are you going to walk with him? Are you going to surrender to him? Are you going to be on mission with him? Or are you going to do things your own way, as we did in the beginning and ended up in this lost place? And so Jesus closes with this story, as <clears throat> Luke writes, about, again, another pretty famous story about Martha and Mary. He says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Three people in this story. You have a, a lady who's working really hard to make a good meal, doing good things. You have a lady who's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning, it says, to him. And you have Jesus who says, the one that sat at my feet had the better part. So I think the question we've got to ask ourselves is, what is distracting us from walking with Jesus, from sitting at his feet, from hearing from him and what he would have us to do? What, what is keeping you from giving your life to him? What is keeping you from being on mission for him wholeheartedly? What is it? You know, I was tempted to do a typical kind of long list of things that could be, but I'll just share one. That's what I struggle with. I pulled up my phone yesterday, and Mary's got it. Left it there. I was going to pull it out and show it to you. But I looked at it, and it said, Kevin, you spent two hours and 42 minutes per day on this phone last week. Now, some of that was good, and some of that was useful, and some of that was talking to you or texting with you, but a whole bunch of that was Kevin just in a bunch of minutia, traveling from one little thing to another to another, just kind of wasting time away, distracting me from Jesus. So, so I mean, what is it with you? Like, what, what is this that's keeping you from hearing from Jesus, walking in his way, and being fully devoted to him? What's keeping you from even accepting him for the first time and going, Jesus, you are Lord, I see that you're the Messiah I give my life to you. You know, we have one little life to live. Everybody in this room has one little life to live. Right? And I'm in my 60s, and if I'm an average human, I'm in the fourth quarter of my life. Fourth quarter, right? Some of you are in the first, some in the second, some in the third. I'm in the fourth. It goes so fast. And it can be wasted so quickly, like hours on a cell phone, hours on a computer, hours just who knows what, watching television, and it gets lost in a moment. Or we can take a moment and sit with Jesus. Good Jesus, what will you have me to do? So let's just do that here this morning. Let's just close down, and God no doubt has spoken to you as he does each week. We're always amazed as pastors how he speaks to us in our own individual places. And let's just sit at the feet of Jesus here for a moment. Say, Jesus, what do you need to say to me? What do you want to say to me this morning? And let's listen to him.
Father, thank you that you're always extending to us open arms to come and sit at your feet, to hear from you a message of mercy and of grace and of love and concern, and yet also a message that says, don't waste your life. Oh God, help us now to make the most of each day you've given us. It's a gift to be alive today. Thank you that our mercies, your mercies are new every morning. We are yours. We give our lives to you. Teach us to walk with you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.